I read this story a few years ago about a, a father who on a Sunday afternoon wanted to, wanted to take a nap. He was just, after church, he was just ready to crash. But he had a, he had a young son, and the young son, well, you know how young sons crave the attention of their fathers. And this, this boy was, was no different. And so he began to go, Dad, Dad, let's do this, let's do that, let's do that. Well, all, all he wanted to do was lay down in his lazy boy and take a nap. And so finally, he was trying to figure out, is there some way I can keep him occupied without just turning on the TV? Some way to keep him occupied. And so he remembered from looking at the newspaper that morning that there was a large picture, a world map that covered about a half a page in the newspaper. And so he went over and he grabbed that and he cut it out and he began to tear it all into little pieces. And he gave it to his son and he said, now here's what I want you to do. He said, this is a fun activity. He said, clear off the coffee table there and put this puzzle that I've made together for you. And then let me know when you've got it done so I can come take a look at it. And so he gave all the boy these pieces of ripped up newspaper and, and the boy put it on the table. And, and so he went on to, to take his nap thinking, I'll at least get an hour, maybe an hour and a half out of this. Well, in just a few minutes, his son comes back and goes, Dad, 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 it's finished. Dad's going, no, 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 no. You, you don't know anything about geography. You don't know what the world's supposed to look like. It can't be finished. How would you get it done so quickly? And he said, well, he said, I found out that on the back of that picture you gave me was a picture of a person. And when I put the person together, the whole world came together. That is what our series of messages this month and next month on the road to hope is all about. Some of you, your world is torn into pieces. And you don't know how to put it back together. I want to tell you the place to start today is putting the person back together. Because it's an amazing thing when you are put together. Then the world itself begins to make a little more sense. It doesn't seem to be quite torn in quite as many pieces. And so we're going to be talking about overcoming some of the hurts in your life. We're going to be talking about how dealing with some of the the habits that you have. Some of you have developed, very crafted them, and got them perfectly developed over the course of years. But you know these are not habits that are good for you. And some of the things that hang you up and trip you up, we're going to begin to deal with some of those things. And and want you to be willing to pull those things out of the closet and be honest with God and honest with yourself about the things that are hindering your world and sometimes tearing your world into pieces. And the verse that will be central to this series of messages comes out of Isaiah chapter 57, verse 18, where God speaks to the people of Israel who are hurting and in a bad, bad way. And this is what he says. I have seen his ways, that is, the ways of the people. I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will guide him and restore comfort to him. That is central of this message. Healing, guidance, leadership, spiritual leadership, and the restoration of comfort. This tells the people of Israel and it tells us that we haven't fallen through the cracks. There are times that you probably feel that God has no clue as to what's going on in your life. 
all the things you're struggling with, all the things you're dealing with, and it seems, it feels like God is, is somewhere distant. That he, he's up, you know, playing ping pong with the angels, taking a nap while you try to put your world together, whatever, but you don't feel like God is near. God, the, the people of Israel felt that way. But God says, listen, I've seen your ways. I know your situation. I know exactly what you're going through, all the details of everything that you struggle with. In fact, I've seen your successes. I've seen you on your good days. And I've seen your failures. I've seen you on those days when you've fallen flat on your face. I've seen you when you were tempted and triumphed. And, and we're able to, to stand and say, I've overcome this thing and, and I've got it. And I've seen you on those days where you yield to temptation so easily that it's embarrassing. I've seen your ways. I know what you're going through. I know what your life is like. And some of you are here this morning and your life is a literal mess. Your world is in pieces. And you don't see how it can ever possibly fit back together again. Now, some of you are going, okay, well, that's not my life. My life's not a mess. But there are areas in your life that you go, yeah, now that's a mess. This relationship over here, that one's a mess. This, this habit that I've been dealing with for years, that's a mess. This job situation and the interrelationships in the office, in the place that I work, that, that's a mess. And so maybe it's not that your whole world is torn to pieces. Maybe it's that a part of your world is in pieces. And God wants to let you know that he knows exactly what you're going through this morning. And what he says is, I can bring healing into your life. I can bring healing to that area where you need healing. God is saying, I can guide you through this. Trust me. Put your hand in my hand. Take my hand. I can guide you, lead you through this. God is saying to you this morning, I can bring restoration to what is torn to pieces. I can bring comfort where there's a lot of discomfort right now. That's what God wants to do. Now, maybe you haven't realized this. Uh, If you've been living your life with rose-colored glasses and blinders on, then perhaps you don't know that we live in a very imperfect world. We live in a world where we get hurt by other people. I won't ask you to raise your hands if you've been hurt by other people because that would be everybody here, okay? You've all been hurt by other people. Now, I also won't ask you to raise your hands when, when we say this, that uh, you've also hurt other people, right? You, you've hurt other people. Uh, some of it was done intentionally, some of it was done unintentionally, but you've hurt other people. And most of us in here, I would dare say all of us in here, have also done things and said things that have ultimately ended up hurting ourselves. And so this is an imperfect world in which we live, and we in many ways are, are imperfect ourselves. And the Bible puts it this way, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us can point a finger at the other person and say, okay, you're the one who's messed up because we're the one who's messed up. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And, and, and the book of James tells us that we all stumble in many ways. I like the way he puts that because it's so accurate. We all stumble in many ways, in a myriad of ways. 
In other words, what trips you up may not be the thing that trips me up. But what trips me up may not be the thing that trips you up. And what we need to understand is we, we all are going through this life tripping around on these things that are that sometimes roadblocks we put in the way. Sometimes they're roadblocks Satan's put in the way. Sometimes they're roadblocks that other people have put in the way. But we're all stumbling over these things. And we need healing. We need guidance. We need someone to restore our comfort. This series of messages over this month and next month is for everybody. And we're going to be using the word recovery, but we, I, I, I want to help you redefine that. Because when we think recovery, immediately we go to Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, some type of program like that. That is recovery. Some home that we have to go to, some program we have to attend. That is not what we're talking about. When we're talking about recovery, here's another good word for it. Restoration. Repairing what's been torn to pieces. Repairing what is broken. That's all recovery is. Repairing what has been broken and shattered. And that's what restoration is. And we're going to use the word recovery, but I want you to redefine it in your own minds as we go through this. Because you see, the good news is, regardless of the problem, you need this restoration. You need this recovery. It might be emotional, financial, relational, spiritual, sexual, whatever it is. You need recovery, and I'm here to tell you that there is hope. Therefore, our message series, The Road to Hope, we're traveling to hope. Hope is our destination, but it's also what gives us the energy and the fuel to move forward. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on how we can find hope. Even though we have hurts, even though we have habits, and even though we have hang-ups, And we're going to use this word recovery as an acrostic. And it's just a way for us to remember things. That's all an acrostic is. And and if that word throws you off, acrostic basically means you take the first letter, you take the letters in each word and you have a point that comes out from each of those. And that's what we're going to do. And today we're going to start with a letter because the first letter in recovery is what? Okay, some of you are awake. The first letter in recovery is you all pass. Okay, good. And so that first R is going to tell us the word realize. And what are we to realize? We're to realize that you are not God. This is one of the most profound truths that you will ever hear. This should blow your mind. You are not God. Well, you say, well, of course I'm not God. I know I'm not God. I I, I have to sleep. I have to eat. I'm not self-sufficient. I know I'm not God. And yet we spend a lot of our lives acting as if we are God, as if we have the power, we have the control. We play God, and it really messes us up. There are a lot of things. Now you say, well, how do I play God? Do you ever try to control someone else? Maybe you manipulate them a little bit. You know which... You know which buttons to push. I, I think husbands and wives sometimes do this just for the fun of it. Because they, they kind of know how to goad. Their, and sometimes you know you're going to get a bad response, but you still push the button. It's like having this big red button on your husband or wife that says, Do not push. 
But somehow you think, I'm going to push that. Because I know that, what does that do? I mean, isn't that stupid? I mean, you know what's going to happen if you push that. You abs- this is the nuclear disaster. This is mutually assured destruction. And yet you push the button. Why do you push it? You push it because that gives you control. You're the button pusher. And even though you may not like the result, at least you did it. You're the controller. And so there's some manipulation in that. And, and, and I guess we, can, we use the husband and wife relationship because we get really good at that as husbands and wives. We get really good at finding out what buttons to push, what not to push. How do I get my way? How do I get out of trouble? You know, what do I need to say? What do I need to do? And, and we get pretty good at that. We know the buttons to push. But we do it. We do it in business. We, our children learn how to do that. We teach them. They do something wrong. What do you, what do you say? I'm sorry. So they get, you're, you're all red in the face. They've done something wrong. And your child is saying, you go, I'm sorry. What does it mean? It means absolutely nothing. But I know if I say this, it's going to get you off my case. It'll lower the temperature in the room if I just say this. And so we learn this at an early age that, that we have some measure of control in our lives. And, and we begin to play God. It started from the very outset in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember the serpent's temptation to Adam and Eve as they stood there around that tree? That God said, you can eat of every tree in the garden except this one. Don't eat of this one. And what did the serpent say? The serpent said, listen, God's just trying to keep you from what you deserve. Because when you eat of this fruit, you won't die. You'll be like God. Go back and read it. You'll be like God. That was the temptation that you can be in control, that you can be God, that you can be Lord of your life. So this morning, as we consider this idea of of understanding that we're not God, I'd like to I'd like to point out some important truths to you. And the first one is this. My sin nature is the root cause of my problem. My sin nature, is a, in some translations of the Bible, because of your flesh, is the root cause of my problem. My sin nature is what gets me into most of my trouble. I do things that I know aren't good for me, but I do them anyway. And I don't do things that I know I should do, that I ought to do, and that are good for me, and yet I end up not doing those. And and sometimes end up doing things that are very self-destructive. I respond the wrong way when I'm hurt. I respond the wrong way, even though I know that by responding this way, it's going to make matters worse. I still do it. I try to fix problems, and I try to fix people. And when I try to do that, it always ends up making a mess. It never works. It never, it never, it just puts a band-aid on the problem, but it never fixes it. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to man, but it ends in death, or in some translations, destruction. There's a way that seems right, but it doesn't end well. And we've been there, and we've done that. We've practiced what felt right, what seemed right, what we thought was right. But it ended up being a mess. And there is a better way. 
You know, I always thought it'd be great if when you became a Christian, when I became a Christian, that God would remove all temptation from us, that we were never tempted to do anything wrong again, never had any more struggles with it, never had any more challenges with it. Um, And that's going to happen one day, but it ain't today. When we get to heaven, that'll all be removed from us. But right now, you and I still struggle with temptations. We still struggle with those issues. We still struggle in doing things that we know aren't right and not doing things that we know are right. And we look at that and we go, I must be the only person on planet earth that struggles with that. But you're not, and I'm not. As a matter of fact, one of the most spiritual men that ever walked the face of the earth next to Jesus himself was the Apostle Paul. And this is what Paul wrote to the the church in Romans, in in Romans chapter 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. As it is, it is no longer uh, I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature, for I have a desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, does this sound vaguely familiar to you in your own life? The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do are the things I end up doing. Um, let, let, it's New Year, right? Uh, we are six days into the New Year. Some of you made New Year's resolutions. Some of you have already, it's already busted, right? It's already messed up. Because the, the New Year, lose weight, exercise, read my Bible. I mean, you, you make these things because you know these are things that I, I should do or things I shouldn't do. And so you make this commitment to do them. But somehow they, they end up broken in pieces pretty quickly. Like some of those toys that you gave your children for Christmas. They don't last the week. They're broken. And it's that way with the commitments that we make. I end up doing what I don't want to do. End up not doing what I do, what I, what I want to do. But the first step to understanding this and to dealing with it is you've got to admit you've got a problem. And the cause of all my problems is that I want to be God. I don't want anybody else telling me what's right or wrong. I want to decide what's right and wrong for myself. I want to call my own shots. I want to make my own rules. I want to put myself at the center of the universe. I want to sit on the throne. I want to be Lord. I want to be boss. I want to live my way. I want to do it my way. I I don't want anybody telling me what to do with my life. That is playing God. That is trying to be in control. We want to be Lord, but we've got a dilemma because we call Jesus Lord. And you can't have both. There's only one throne in your life, only one. And you've got to decide who sits on that throne. Jesus belongs there. 
He is the only one worthy to sit on that throne. He is the only one who can provide everything that you need. But there is this tendency to want to shove him aside. Jesus, I don't want the whole thing. Just give me this corner right here and I'll be happy. If you, I need a little more room, Jesus. If you just give me a little more room, okay, that, that's what happened. Well, okay, if you wanted to get up. And then I become Lord. And, and we don't do it in, in the physical sense like this, but it's exactly what happens spiritually. We exert control. We become Lord. We become the center. We become the boss of our own lives. Because Jesus wasn't doing it fast enough, or Jesus wasn't doing it to suit us, or what Jesus asked us to do was uncomfortable. And we decided we could actually do a better job than Jesus. This is playing God. And we do it often. And we get pretty good at it. But it is never a healthy alternative. It is never the direction that we should take or the direction that we should go. So how do we play God? Well, we play God by wanting to control our image. That is, we want people to see us like we want them to see us. Well, how do we want them to see us? Well, respectable, honest, dressed well, smell good, whatever. We want people to see us. The thing is, we want people to think that we've got it all together. But the problem is we don't have it all together. One of the things that I had to learn as a pastor is there's sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have all the answers for you. But I know who does. It's just not me. And pastors and religious leaders are probably foremost in this category of image conscious. Now, I don't mean image conscious in the, in the sense that I wear Brooks Brothers suits because I don't wear suits unless I absolutely have to. But it's that persona. What do I want people to think of me? And so we're a different person here than we are there. We're a different person at church than we are at business or than we are at home or when we're out with our friends. We're a different person. And it's this idea of wanting to control my image and not be honest about who I truly am. That's part of playing God. Another way we try to play God is we try to control other people. This is one of the things that I deal with most in counseling. People have this idea that if they could just control their spouse or control their significant other or control their kids or control their parents, if they could just exert control, then everything would be fine. But what they're doing is they're playing God. They're saying, I want to be on the throne. And God, I don't trust you enough to leave this in your hands. I feel like I've got to manipulate I've got to cause this. A third way that we try to play God is we try to control our own problems. And this is one of the things as we deal, especially with people who have addiction issues. I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. Like somehow by saying I don't have a problem, it makes the problem go away. Well, that's not true. We all have problems. But we try to control them. That's another way to play God. We also play God when we try to control our own pain. And this, 
Some people try to control their own. There are lots of ways people try to control their pain, but but denying that it exists, denying that I've been hurt. These are some ways to control pain. Medicating or other ways to control pain. Workaholic is another way to control pain. But we try to control. It's that idea of playing God. Let me move on because our time's running out. The second major truth we have here is that there are consequences for playing God. And let me just touch on those very, very quickly. The first consequence is fear. I fear that somebody's going to find out who I really am. And I really don't have all this together. That's a real fear. That somebody's actually going to see beneath my mask. And see the real man, the real woman that I am. Second consequence is frustration. It's pretty challenging being the general manager of the universe. When you feel like you're God, you're in control. Uh, I would not recommend the movie uh, Bruce Almighty to get any theology from there. Where this guy, Bruce, complains to God and God says, okay, you can be God for a day. And Bruce comes to find out that it's not all as cracked up to be. And I think that's the frustration we get when we try to play God. It becomes very frustrating because we're not God. The third is fatigue. It's very tiring playing God. Because we aren't equipped for it. God didn't design us that way. And the fourth is failure. Because if there's one guarantee when you play God... It's that you're going to fall flat on your face. You're going to fail. Because you're not God. Proverbs 28, 13 says this. He who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. If you're trying to cover up, if you're trying to hide from God or other people, um, it's not getting you anywhere. There's no prospering that's going to take place. But if you want mercy, you've got to be honest. You got to take the mask off. You got to be who you are. Do you realize that Jesus' greatest um, challenge, Jesus' greatest disagreement in the in the New Testament, was with people who were religious leaders who wore masks? Jesus was able. You know, Jesus was was better than Superman, and he not only had X-ray vision; he could see. Yeah, he had, he could see all the way to the heart. He can see what was on the inside of a person. God looks at the heart. We look at the outside. God looks at the heart. So we're not fooling God, but we try. And Jesus was able to see behind the mask of the Pharisees and see they were putting on a show. They were playing a part. They were playing a role. And when they were out in public, they were all holy and everybody, oh, hey, look how holy I am. Woohoo! Look how much I pray. Look, you know, look at all this stuff that I do. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Jesus saw it, that underneath, he said, on the outside, you're like a whitewashed tomb. You're really nice and shiny, but what's on the inside of a tomb are dead men's bones. The outside and the inside don't match. And that's our struggle, and that's, that's our challenge. We need, to, we need to be who we are. And I want Grace Fellowship to be a safe place to be who you are. Maybe we'll put a sign at the front, leave your mask at the door. Leave your, we're not here to play dress up. You ever, kids love to play dress up. We still have some of the dress up clothes that our kids have. And it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, they love to play dress up. 
And they'll come in and they'll be a knight or they'll be a princess or they'll be a king or they'll be Spider-Man or whatever. And, and, and in their minds, somehow they are that. And it's great to play Spider-Man until you try to climb a wall. It doesn't work. Leave your mask at the door. Leave, leave your costumes at the door. When you come in, be who you are. For God and for us. And I think that some of you have discovered, I hope that many of you discovered, that you can be who you are here and still be loved. Now, it doesn't mean that who you are is perfect and great and that we all ought to just celebrate, woo look how good you are. No. There are a lot, of, we all need a lot of changes, okay? But it just means I don't have to come in here and pretend that I've got it all together. I can come in and be honest with God and honest with people about who I am and they're still going to love me and they're going to try to help me to move from where I am to where God wants me to be. Leave your mask at home. That's how we want Grace Fellowship to be. I want to, let me just give you a warning of two dangers here because these are two very real dangers when you begin to, to wrestle with these issues in your life. And the first is that you look at your issues and your hurts, habits, hang-ups, and you go, well, mine aren't so bad. <laughs> you know, mine aren't as bad as his. Mine aren't as bad as hers. And so I don't need to deal with these. That's not true. We all stumble in many different ways. And we all need to deal with it. And the second one is, I can fix this myself. Oh, man. I can fix this myself. You are the rugged American individual. I can do it on my own. I'm a self-made man, a self-made woman. I don't need other people. But God didn't design us that way. From Genesis, God said it is not good for man to be alone. Uh, We're told in Ecclesiastes that two are better than one. And then we see the Apostle Paul talking about the church being a body and that every part is important, but we're all interconnected and we all need one another. You've got to be honest and say, I can't do this myself. I need a community. I need a family of faith to help me. Now let me give you very briefly the the cure for, for, for those who play God because there is a cure for those who play God. And the first aspect of that is to admit your own powerlessness to do this on your own, that you can't be God and you can't do it without other people. And when you admit that I'm not God, it means you're acknowledging three very important truths in life. And the first is I admit that I'm powerless to change my Past. Oh, how we would love to go back with one of those Mr. Clean erasers. Man, that's pretty good. I was actually using that thing on my door where some fingerprints. It took the paint off. I mean, literally, it took the paint. I got to repaint the door now because I use that thing. That's a, I mean, that's a pretty potent thing right there. But, man, it would be nice if we had something to just go to our past and those, those terrible mistakes we've made those things that have wounded us and wounded other people, to be able to erase those out. There's some people we'd like to go back in our past and erase them out of our lives. Some, some decisions that we made. Boy, if I could just redo that. But we can't. And so we have to do what I try to encourage my kids to do. Don't waste a mistake. Learn from it and move forward. Because you can't control it. You can't change it. You're powerless to change your past. 
It is what it is. Secondly, I admit that I'm powerless to control other people. And we've already talked about that. Uh, when I attempt to manipulate other people and, and to, to, to use, move people around as pawns or to control other people, I'm just playing God. And it doesn't work. It's not good for me. It's not good for them. And third, I admit that I'm powerless to cope with my harmful habits, behaviors, and actions on my own. I admit that I can't do this by myself. Good intentions aren't enough. Willpower is not enough. I need a source that is beyond me and a family, a community, a group who will hold me accountable and who will encourage me. The, the Bible puts it this way. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so I guess what I'm asking you today is would you be willing to say, okay, here's, here's this bucket of pride that I brought in. Okay, it's a 55-gallon barrel. All right, here's my pride. I brought it in. But today I'm willing to leave that aside and to be humble and to open myself up for what God has to teach me over the course of the next few weeks about my issues. I'm not just here to hear about other issues and what other people are dealing with. I'm here for the next two weeks and two months to, to say, God, okay, I'm willing to bring my issues to you and, and God be honest with you and trust you with these. And then I'll ask you to take one further step, and that is I want you to connect. Now, the Celebrate Recovery is a great place to connect. Some of you are ready for that, eager for that. I was talking to somebody at Ingalls the other day. They go, ooh, I'm so looking forward, Thursday night, getting over to Celebrate Recovery. That's good. You may just want to come check it out. But if you don't connect there, then you need to connect somewhere. Sunday morning Bible study, a grace group, men's group, women's group, Whatever it is, you need to connect somewhere. Why? Because when you connect in a place where you can be open and honest about who you are and still be loved, then you're going to find two things that you desperately need and that Celebrate Recovery offers them and our small group ministries offer them. Two things you desperately need. One is encouragement. You need someone who says, okay, you messed up. Let's get up and start again. Two, you need accountability. You need somebody who's willing to intervene in your life and go, you know what? That is a dumb decision. Don't do it. Sometimes we need someone to step up in our face and in Christian love go, that is wrong. It is hurtful. And it's going to mess you up. We need it. You cannot do this on your own. God didn't make you that way. Quit trying. Let God have his way. Let Jesus be Lord. I'm not God. And that's good for both of us.